Today's episode is sponsored by Mahler Bros Golf. We all want to look good on the golf course, but it often comes at the expense of feeling good. Mahler Bros Golf has polos that look good and feel good. With their lightweight and stretchy material that hugs your body, you will feel cool while looking just as cool. Their polos are guaranteed to make you look better, but it's up to you to golf better. On a hot summer day on the golf course, there's no polo that you would rather wear than a Mahler Bros Golf signature polo. Mahler Bros Golf has a large catalog of polos with designs for those who want a loud design and others for those who want a subtle and sleek looking design. They also have fun tees, hats, tumblers, and so much more to make your golfing experience better. Use code BELLYUP at MahlerBros.com for 15% off. You know when you're golfing, the sun's beating down, and you want to take your shirt off because of the heat? These polos almost feel like you aren't wearing one at all. Are your polos getting outdated and dingy? Time to get new ones that will make you stand out on the golf course. You need Mahler Bros Golf Signature Polos. Their polos are comfortable, slim fitting, and will make you look good and feel good while you're golfing with the guys. You know, Subi, I live here in Scottsdale, Arizona. It can be real hot during the summer. And what I'm always looking for is something that's going to wick that moisture away and make me feel like I'm wearing nothing at all. That's what you get here with Mahler Bros Golf Polos. Also, us being sponsored by Belly Up Media, they have Belly Up t-shirts you can buy at MahlerBros.com as well. That's MahlerBros.com backslash Belly Up. Mahler Bros doesn't only have polos, but they have really fun golf t-shirts that you can wear anywhere. Maybe like the barbecue your family invited to you or even that get together with your friends. Make sure to let them know where you got that shirt and wear it proudly. I'm going to wear mine this weekend during March Madness. Don't wait to try your new favorite golf apparel. Upgrade your golf attire with Mahler Bros. Get 15% off at MahlerBros.com with code BELLYUP. That's 15% off. M-A-H-L-E-R-B-R-O-S dot com with code BELLYUP. Turn heads on the golf course or wherever you wear Mahler Bros polos. Mahler Bros golf. Look good. Feel good. Feel good. Play good. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi. I am riding solo today. No fault of Taylor's. All right. This is actually my fault. It's been a very hectic week. An incredibly hectic week. And I know I didn't have an episode earlier this week. I was traveling. I Look, I understand it's a really, really terrible look. I can appreciate that for sure. All right. This is supposed to be a college basketball podcast. This is supposed to be a website that I implore you to, to check out. This is supposed to be a Twitter account that I implore you to follow two times per week. And I wasn't able to produce an episode after the first weekend of the greatest weekend of the calendar year. I can appreciate that. And you're probably saying to yourself, this is inexcusable. I'm saying that to myself as well. I should say damn near inexcusable. Look, I was at a wedding and I know I have said that now for about a year and a few months, essentially since this wedding date was validated and I got to save the date, I was dreading that past weekend, but I got through it. And look, the only thing I love more than college basketball is love itself. I love love. We love love. All right. It was a lovely, lovely, amazing wedding celebrating a good friend in Ojai, California, which by the way, if you ever get out there, um, you're going to enjoy yourself. I would highly recommend it. It's a beautiful little getaway about an hour and a half north of Los Angeles. As a matter of fact, when we were driving to Ojai, you drive through Camarillo, California, hometown of the Jaquez siblings. That's right. Jaime Jaquez, I was very close to 
dropping in and saying, thank you, Mr. And Mrs. Hawkins for having a son that has owned me for the past four and a half years. It may have been weird. It may have been odd, but that's the amount of respect I have for Jaime Hawkins. First thing I thought of when I saw exit signs for Camarillo, but getting back to the point at hand, I want to apologize for not being able to pump out an episode uh, on Tuesday on Tuesday. It was uh, because I was traveling and it was a lengthy, lengthy weekend of travel. We'll just leave it at that. And then on top of it, look, I'm juggling a lot of family issues, nothing bad, but I'm over here in Ohio helping out my brother-in-law with his two kids. So my two nephews, and it's a crazy house. All right. I'm going to give you guys a dose of reality. If I'm lucky enough to have children, I can already tell that this podcasting thing is not going to be as easy to produce and get content out because it is more than a 24 hour job babysitting. All right. It is a nonstop, no sleep type of job. And this is with a lot of people in the house. I got three dogs. It's just very hectic, but enough of my sob story. All right. I understand. I take ownership of not being able to tweet feet and send out uh, an updated and latest and greatest podcast episode, but we're going to get to all of that here. We're going to regroup and recap the first weekend. We're going to take a look ahead to the sweet 16 matchups, which I'm very excited about. And then we also got a lot of coaching transfers, um, including teams that played the first weekend. So a lot has progressed and changed since the last time you heard my voice. We are brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate, and review us on whichever device it is that you use. Your college hooper of the day, Dewan Coleman. You guys remember Dewan Coleman, the big man from Syracuse. Look, he had the name. He had the initials. Of course, I'm talking about Derek Coleman. He had the name. He had the initials. He actually had the, the game itself to make a lot of people stra- scratch their head and go to Google Wikipedia and say, is, is Dewan Coleman related to Derek Coleman? Turns out he's not, but went to Syracuse, same initials, same, similar game, big, big stock. Uh, I shouldn't say stocky guy, but just a big, big individual. Uh, certainly wasn't a lottery pick like Derek Coleman was, but Dewan Coleman, he was on the Syracuse team, I think in 2013, that made a final four run. He's your college player of the day. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is and follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel. Let's open the curtains. Shoot, Paul, the runner! Loose ball! It's good! With 
All right. What an epic first weekend. I did my best to get eyes as well as I could, but we've all been to weddings. You got the welcome party. And then you got to socialize. You got to mingle. Most importantly, you need two hands for the finger foods, phenomenal finger foods. That's exactly what I was exposed to. Had some bacon wrapped scallops. Delicious little sirloin with horseradish sauce sauce on top of these little toasted, these little toasted bites, bread bites. It was a great welcome party. And then of course you have the wedding day where I've always said the lead up to getting ready is actually the best part. And what I mean by that is you got time to kill. You got games to watch. I moseyed over to the local watering hole, the bar, popped a squat at the bar, and I was the only one there. And we kicked off game action. Uh, I forget who, I think it was Furman playing SDSU. That was a real bummer. That game stunk. And then the only bad part was that there was 30 minutes of complete dead time. Uh, from that game up until Tennessee Duke. So I had to uh, I had to wait it out. But that Tennessee Duke game, phenomenal game. I'm just going to give you guys some stream of consciousness thoughts on the first weekend. And, of course, uh, look at my bracket, which has lost. It has lost three of my final four teams. Now, I actually have some decent picks aside of that. So right now I'm sitting in eighth place in the Sharks bracket pool. But... Um, I mean, I'm sure those are going to bite me once those picks come to fruition. So I have lost, uh, three of my four final four Arizona who, which I will get to, and I'll be taking my medicine. Don't you, don't you worry about it. All right. That's coming. Kansas. What the hell? I actually think that was the most shocking loss to me. This is when I was sitting down for, for, um, for the dinner on Saturday for wedding dinner couple of sirloins. We had some uh, delectable potatoes. And then uh, I think it was Arancini that we had as well. All of that spoiled to see Arkansas. Shout out Ruben Williams, who we've had on the podcast before and who I've stayed in touch with and wished him best of luck. But what a shocking result, in my opinion, at least. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I should trust Musselman, who's on the verge now of going to three straight elite eights. This would clearly be his most impressive work. But I was shocked that Kansas lost this game. Arkansas has been a team that has been so up and down, so inconsistent all year, whereas Kansas has been the model of consistency. And I, I'm i not going to blame this, or I'm not going to say, well, they, they, they didn't have Bill Self. Most will, but I said I was – when Taylor and I were discussing our final four picks – I said that doesn't matter to me. Taylor ended up being right. He was like, "Are you sure that doesn't that doesn't impact you or that doesn't phase you whatsoever?" The Bill Self omission or the big Bill Self absence. I said, "No, I have tons of trust in Dewan Harris. I have tons of trust in in even a freshman like Grady Dick, Jalen Wilson, who's arguably the best player in the entire country." They couldn't get it done against Arkansas, so I was a little shocked on that, but. Let's start with Arizona. And of course, we'll get to Purdue. Don't worry. But Arizona, my God, man. Just another wasted year, really. And I, let me let me first start with the game itself. All right, the guard play. 
horrific. Just a couple hours ago, as I'm recording this, so as you're listening to this yesterday, Kirk Kreisa and Adama Ball have entered the transfer portal. Kirk Kreisa, I appreciate your effort, and he loves Arizona, but when the team needed him the most in postseason play, he was not very good. The last couple of years, he was not very good. Again, I can appreciate him because he came when Sean Miller was kind of in turmoil, stuck around. He actually has entered his name in the transfer portal before, but he withdrew. And that was before last season. But Kirk Carissa was one of seven against Princeton with, I think, four or five turnovers. Cannot happen. Cannot happen from your starting point guard. Courtney Ramey heated up a little bit in the second half uh, against Princeton, but for the most part, it was tough to get him going. The thing Taylor and I have said all season about Arizona is that they have the best front court in the entire country, and I still think that's the truth. But somehow they became way too over-reliant on them. Umar Balo, who was a little banged up, again, that's not an excuse. You cannot lose to Princeton even if you are banged up. Umar Balo had a double-double essentially with one hand. Azulis Tabellis willed his team in the first half. And even in the second half, he had some good moments. Those were the two best players on the basketball court by far, and they got no help whatsoever. And what do we always say about March? What contributes or what is a very big contributor to success in March? It's guard play, right? It's why my final four was consistent of a Duke, Jeremy Roach, Houston, Marcus Sasser, Kansas, Dewan Williams or Wilson. Dewan Harris, what the hell am I saying? Good Lord. Dewan Harris, excuse me. Arizona, and you should know this by now if you know me, I always take Arizona because I can't live with myself if they end up making a run and I don't pick them. If they end up going to a Final Four or winning a national title and I don't pick them, I couldn't live with myself. So I knew their guard play sucked. And I'm always going to get burned, it seems like, with Arizona. But you look at my other three, elite guard play with Duke and Jeremy Roach, who was playing remarkably well. Marcus Sasser, first-team All-American, at least in the preseason. And then Dewan Harris, who is a national title winner. But Arizona got absolutely nothing. Diddly zilch from their guards. And... The thing I've critiqued Arizona on for quite some time now, it's this hasn't just been a Tommy Lloyd thing, but they are way too casual. They are way too laissez-faire. They are just way too hands-off. They have zero killer instinct, and it sounds like I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm some casual fan because we've heard that rhetoric from fans before. Just finish the job. And I can appreciate how that is difficult. But there's certain plays, and there's certain teams that you cannot – that you cannot let up off the deck. And there's certain tournaments where that's especially dangerous. And the NCAA tournament is one of them. And a 15 seed is one of them. Just ask the last couple of teams in the last couple of years in Kentucky and Ohio State. They let Oral Roberts hang around. Kentucky let St. Pete hang around. Arizona was up 12 on Princeton in the second half. Finish the game. Put 
Princeton away. You are not playing a Wisconsin with Frank Kaminsky and Sam Decker, who can who who you presume will fight back. You're not playing a Baylor with Keontae George. Flagler. You're not playing Creighton again with a Baylor Shireman. All right. You're not playing Missouri just yet with Nick Honor. And maybe I'm not giving enough love and credit to Princeton because I should be. They played terrific and they were tough as hell. That's the other thing, by the way. Princeton didn't even play that well. That's another thing Arizona should be really upset about and concerned about. Princeton, usually you lose to these, these 15 seeds and they get some wild anomaly type of night from the three-point line or the free throw line. Or you think back to Nova over Georgetown in the title game where they basically shot 100% from the field. I think Princeton made four threes all night. They were like four of 19. And Arizona still couldn't beat them? It's troubling stuff. It's troubling, troubling stuff. And we talked about Arizona's explosive offense all year. They only put up 55 against Princeton. The only other thing I would mention about Arizona is the fan base. And I don't know how people view me. But I personally like to think that I'm not super arrogant. I'm not a complete prick. I'm not over here thinking that Arizona shit don't stink because the facts of the matter are that it stinks quite a bit. Turn the fan on when you leave the bathroom. Light a candle, please. Plug the glade in. It stinks. And Arizona fans refuse to acknowledge it, and they still peacock, and they still think they're the cock of the walk. I don't necessarily think that they think Arizona is a blue blood. I think we have enough awareness, I would hope, to appreciate that. But they're over here just just, just making fun of other programs. Great, you're better than ASU. Who gives a shit? Was that ever the standard at Arizona during Lute Olson days? Go ahead, make fun of ASU. Make fun of them for for not really having tournament success. Fact of the matter is Arizona has had far many more top 10 recruiting classes, better seasons, better seeds, and they both have the same amount of final force to show for it in the past 20 years or so. All right. You keep making fun of ASU for never winning a PAC 12 title. Who cares, man, go do something in March for the love of God. At some point that has to matter. At some point, doing something in March has to matter. All right. And three elite eights were great. But it's if if you want to consider yourself a great program, the expectation has to be final fours. Okay. So if the expectations are final fours, then you have to be upset at the last 20 or so years, especially with the amount of regular season success that they've had. Now, if you're not, that's totally fine too. But you have to lower your standards. That means you're our, you're, you're, you're lower tier two, maybe even high tier three. All right. Because if three elite eights are going to do it, that's totally fine. But you cannot put yourself on the lists of like Baylor's, Yukon's, or pretty much anyone that's had sustained success and have been to a final four. We ain't them. All right. So you got to pick your poison. Either this run despite a lot of success has been unacceptable because there hasn't been a final four or you're not as great as you think you are. Pick one of those because what I'm seeing with the Arizona fan base is that 
they're peacocking and there's and they're holding on to the fact that UCLA doesn't have a title uh, since 96 or whatever it is 95 when in reality UCLA has been to mul- multiple final fours since then I think three uh, since Arizona has last been they beat them this year they won the Pac-12 title but yet Arizona fans are going to be like holding on for dear life oh we're the last Pac-12 team to win a title great man make a final four for the love of God with all the talent and all the all the talk that they they spit out, it's really annoying. And again, maybe this is a public service announcement for me. Maybe I should be drinking this in. Another disappointing season, though, for Arizona, and and it's a it's a gut check for their fans, and it's also a gut punch. Um, I don't really subscribe to people calling out Tommy Lloyd. I don't think his job's in jeopardy whatsoever. The guys lost like single digit games in two years. Um, But I think what we're seeing now is Tommy Lloyd, maybe getting a little tougher. And this is all just speculation. Kirk Creasa transferring a dumb ball transferring. He wants to put his fingerprints on this program. This is now his program. All right. And a guy like Kylan Boswell, that's a Tommy Lloyd guy. Kylan Boswell is going to be starting at point guard. So just another disappointing season for Arizona, but me, I'm used to it. At some point, it's got to change, and at some point, I don't know when, but I will be rewarded for this dumb fandom. And I say, when I was getting ready for welcome drinks this past Friday, I turn on this garbage Roku TV. There's absolutely nothing worse than Airbnb TVs, man, because first of all, you're walking into a home where it's essentially an away game. And Taylor and I always talk about streaming this and YouTube TV that and how much of a pain it is when I just want cable and I want to know. I want to know what the what the channels are. So I get to this Airbnb and it's Roku TV and I'm doing my best to navigate the apps and find Fairleigh Dickinson Purdue. Now, I don't think Purdue's fan base, and I'm not as in touch with them. Probably IU fans would disagree with me here, but I don't think they're as obnoxious as Arizona fans, but make no mistake or bones about it. They have it far worse than Arizona fans, and their program is more embarrassing than Arizona when it comes to the postseason. Make no mistake about it. And again, this might come back to me being an arrogant Arizona fan but I just don't know how you can argue that Purdue's been less embarrassing. Somehow the North Texas loss a couple of years ago, somehow that doesn't look so bad because they followed that up with a loss to St. Peter's. Shocking. Absolutely shocking with that size advantage. And then history just repeated itself. They lose to Fairleigh Dickinson. And again, hat tip to FDU. I actually saw them in Dayton live. And my brother-in-law and I were like, well, they're really short. I didn't dive into the metrics. I obviously ended up seeing that they were the shortest team in the country, yada, yada, yada. But Purdue, man, it's the same thing. It really is the exact same thing as St. Peter's. And I remember leaving that gym in Philadelphia. I remember leaving the Wells Fargo Center. 
shocked. Now I was bamboozled off of like six voodoo rangers at that point. But I just kept saying to myself, how the hell, first of all, does St. Peter's keep winning? And by the way, Princeton in the Sweet 16, imagine my shock when I saw that they handled Missouri. So you know what? Maybe that's just a chalk it up as a good loss. The only good loss Arizona had all season. Lost to a bunch of other non-tournament terrible teams, but hey, at least you got a loss to uh, the uh, Sweet 16 appearance team. But anyway, Purdue. I remember leaving last year just saying, how the hell did St. Peter's a team so short beat a team so big and and with dynamic, a dynamic playmaker in Jaden Ivey? And then I remember going into this season or this tournament, and I, I, I had Purdue going to the Final Four. And I said to myself, there's no way they let that or that happen again. They can't repeat that. But alas, it happened again. How? How do you let that happen again? I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm close to tears for Boilermakers fans. How do you go from a St. Peter's loss with an Elite Eight on the line to a number one overall seed? The National Player of the Year. Redemption on your mind. You gotta know. You absolutely. I mean, and the metrics. Oh my God, the metrics. Everything was in Purdue's favor, and they still can't get it done. And Braden Smith, a Fletcher lawyer, played pretty well, but Braden Smith and Fletcher lawyer were not great down the stretch in the last couple of weeks. And all I can say, I'm I'm gutted for Purdue fans because they don't deserve this either. But Matt Painter has to have some sort of. I mean, he's got to be. He's got to answer some serious, serious questions at this point. That's the other thing I'm I'm so tired of. Some media members just continuing to say "stay the course" or or let's keep things in perspective, guys. I get Matt Painter's a great coach, but it's not it's not out of bounds. It's don't shame the fan base for being pissed off and asking serious questions about whether Matt Painter can get it done or not. And it's the same thing with with Mark Few. And those were valid questions until he did get it done. I'm not saying fire Matt Painter, but the fact that we need to be hush and mum and just continue to keep things in perspective and stay the course and blindly support them. That's that ain't reality. That ain't reality. And there's a serious case to be made. Look, I mean, I know Mark, if you want the, the, the goal of coaching and playing is to win, but I'm sure there was a, a little heat under his seat that maybe added a little bit of extra impetus or inspiration Maybe even pressure is a good thing to get this done. And he's been to two Final Fours now. So when people, like uh, when Mark Few went to the Final Four and everyone was like, remember when people were questioning whether or not this guy, yeah, man, yeah, that's what happens. It's totally fair to question. I mean, in what insane, bizarro world are you going to sit there after these last three years with Purdue and say, I feel actually after that fairly Dickinson loss, I feel a hundred percent confident in these guys getting to a final four. 
all of the evidence has shown that they cannot do it. And it's different teams, it's different players, it's different systems, but Matt Painter has to be able to and has to answer for these questions. I want to reiterate this. Do not fire Matt Painter. But let's also not take up for him and say that he's done such a bang-up job. All right? I can appreciate that he got very unlucky against Virginia with the Carson Edwards team. But at some point, you got to win in March, and at some point, the stuff becomes pretty unacceptable. So Purdue fans, I'm feeling for you, all right? And I also want to thank you because you did take the worst loss of the weekend potentially ever, actually, right? Potentially ever. So those were the two monster upsets. Uh, I talked about Kansas a little bit. What else happened? I mentioned Virginia, Kihei Clark. That was a, honestly, that was just a, just a sad way to see him end his career. I never would have expected that from, from Kihei just throwing the ball up for grabs. He acknowledged it credit to him. He acknowledged it in the locker room. First of all, he even just spoke to reporters. It seems as if that is not even the bare minimum anymore. And we don't get that, but credit to Kihei for answering and facing the music, but he acknowledged he should have taken a timeout. And then also what a call from Kevin Harlan who in my estimation, when he hits that good, that's a terrible impression of Harlan, but it's so guttural. It comes directly from the belly. It's amazing. And he hits that Stan Van Gundy and his, his face are just so appalled and shocked. I think Dan Bonner was next to them. It's just a bunch of arms flailing, like get the hell back, get the hell back. Kevin Harlan, I would actually take Kevin Harlan over a Mike Breen bang. Why don't you debate, discuss, but great win for Furman there. Um, and me like an idiot tweeted when selection Sunday came out and I was like, you know what? A lot, I think a lot of people are going to be taking Furman over Virginia. I don't see it happening. I got that shoved in my face and I said, look, that's a semi bad tweet. Obviously Furman ends up winning the game, but had I known, I did not look, I did not account for Kihei Clark doing that. All right. What else happened to the South? San Diego State kind of looks like a wagon right now. Had a battle against Charleston and then destroyed Furman. Creighton looking like the team that I think a lot of people tabbed as the best team in the Big East. They roll through Baylor, get a little redemption there for Dougie McBuckets. That was his final game in a Creighton uniform, I believe, was a loss to Baylor. But I also said I, I wanted to watch out for that Creighton-NC State game. I didn't get eyes on it, but NC State played them close. I think Kevin Keats is building something nice there in Raleigh. But Creighton, more experience, better talent. They get the job done. Uh, Missouri-Utah State. Utah State, Bubba. What happened? What happened to the three bombs? Didn't come. And then Missouri ends up just getting trounced by Princeton. I mean, that bottom that bottom left of the south, Princeton is just completely jacking up for me. And then Creighton dis- dismantles Baylor. Um and then Bama takes care of business against Maryland. So that leaves us with Bama versus SDSU, Creighton versus Princeton. Why the hell not, Princeton? Go for it. We've seen Creighton slip up a bit. Why the hell not? Why can't they become a St. Peter's from last year? 
Creighton better bring bring their bib, all right, because they're going to go up against a very stout and tough defense in Princeton. All right, 55 points to Arizona, 63 points to Missouri. I mean, some might say that's pretty pedestrian, but damn, Princeton put up 78 on Mizzou. I don't want them to try and get into a shootout with Creighton, but just, just watch out. Bama SDSU is interesting. I think Bama is going to win that game. But SDSU, I think, are, are are getting a little too disrespected here. All right. I think SDSU can give a, a, some trouble to Alabama. And they found their groove. Dutcher's got them in the Sweet 16. They're a veteran-laden team. Can they give Alabama fits? Their defense is going to have to come correct. And I'm wondering if this is the game, this is the one, maybe even two games, that Bama is going to show their three-point weakness. But I got Bama coming out of there right now. I did call Alabama SDSU with Bama coming out. And then I had Creighton, Arizona, but <clears throat> so uh, I might as well go Princeton here over Creighton. Let's believe. Um, fairly Dickinson, of course, over Purdue. If we move on to the East FAU over Memphis. Now this was a very difficult game for a lot of people to pick, but FAU was terrific. Hey, how about, how about Duke and Tennessee haymakers? left and right. This was actually a game when I was looking at it. I texted the shark and I said, I feel good about Tennessee first weekend. And then I ended up taking Duke, of course, to the final four, like an idiot. I should have stuck with my gut. This is one of those deals where I should have stuck with my gut. Tennessee beats Duke. Great game from Vescovy. Just a great all around effort down low. They just beat them up. They, they, they were more physical, the Vols, and that's something that I feared coming in. It was Duke's kids versus Vols' senior veteran group, and they gave Filipowski basically a black eye. That's the type of street fight you're going to get with Tennessee. That's the type of, of, of gutter war you're getting into with a Euros Plovsic who doesn't give a shit about how he looks right, or, or his numbers or anything like that. This Tennessee team is, they're just a bunch of dogs. Um, so they got FAU coming up. I mean, I like Tennessee. It, it took me a lot to not pick them. So I'm going to go back with it. I'm going to go back to, to Tennessee and, and Rick Barnes. Then I had Kentucky beating Providence. Who knows what was going on with Ed Cooley. One foot out the door. Kansas State over Montana State handled pretty well. I like Danny Sprinkle quite a bit, but I I think I need to see him put a little bit of fear into some of these uh, power teams when he gets to the NCAA tournament. He hasn't done that the past couple of years. That's a very high bar. I can appreciate that. Sprinkle's a great coach. And Kansas State's really damn good. That's why I took them to beat Kentucky and sit where they're at. And then I had USC over Michigan State. I was hoping I don't I don't know if anyone on the broadcast made a Spartan Trojan wordplay joke, but that's really all I took from that game. I mean that this one was I went with the numbers. I thought USC was better because of the numbers. Uh, I, what do you say about Tom Izzo, man? What a legend! All he does, all he does, is win in March. We've heard the the same old cliche, but. He's the veteran of the Sweet 16 group. No one else has been to a Final Four. No one else has lifted a national title trophy. I shouldn't say that, actually, Final Four. We have uh, Mark Few and Gonzaga 
over there. Um, and then, of course, Rick Barnes as well. Title, title. How about that? And, of course, Calvin Sampson in Houston. God, that was just an incorrect thing to say. But no one else has hoisted a title. Tom Izzo has. They're going to play Michigan State. Or, excuse me, they're going to play Kansas State, who, man, I love this Kansas State team. Marquise Noel, toward the end of the season, Marquise Noel kind of, what I had described as maybe been figured out a bit, but he's been so tremendous. He He's just been incredible. Keontae Johnson, Jerome Tang, I've said it a million times this season. There have been a ton of great coaching jobs. But none better than Jerome Tang. There have not been better coach. There's not been a better coaching job than Jerome Tang. In the Big 12, first year head coach, a team that was kind of in disarray, put together this roster and gets them to be cohesive and believe they have a three seed. They go further than their rival, Kansas, and they're in the Sweet 16. Really tremendous work from Kansas State. And you know what? I would not be surprised uh, if they beat Michigan State. But we'll see what MSG looks like there. UCLA, just continuing to take care of business. Ho-hum. I think, again, everyone way over blue the Jalen Clark injury. They're going to get their toughest test now against a healthy, firing all on all cylinders Gonzaga team. Drew Timmy. By the way, I'm so tired of the, the swearing act in his post-game interviews. He dropped the F-bomb again after the Memphis game last year. He did something similar. We get it, man. We get it. You're quirky. You're fun. You swear. Hug for you. All right? No one cares. He can play, though. Drew Timmy can ball. All right? And he was a monster and a menace against TCU. A lot of similarities with TCU and uh, their final game last year and their final game this year. West Coast team. Um. It was a dogfight. Mike Miles went off. The only difference, though, is that Chuck O'Banner, or excuse me, Chuck O'Bannon, my fault. Chuck O'Bannon was lights out last year against Arizona. He was the difference in this, and he was not very good against Gonzaga, which hurt them. They only lost by three. I know, of course, that wild, crazy shot to cover. I know everyone loves betting. We get it, blah, blah, blah. But that game was competitive. If Chuck gives us maybe two more shots, we might be looking at a TCU win. UConn. This actually goes way back to my initial uh, thoughts on them at the beginning of the season. Remember? Do you remember when I called UConn Fifty Shades of Grey when I was trying to compare every team to a movie? UConn was Fifty Shades of Grey because they were dominant. They were dominant, and they've been dominant here in their first two games. I said there because they were beating teams by double digits. It is very rare that you get to the second weekend with two double-digit wins. Smashed Iona in the first round. Rick Patino now at St. John's. Smashed St. Mary's by 15. Man, UConn is humming right now, but they're also going up against an experienced uh, coach in Musselman and a team that's coming off of a very emotional and great win. Uh, in Musselman. So that, for me, Vegas is the place to be. Vegas is the place to be because we got Arkansas, UConn, and then Gonzaga, UCLA, which I hope for Gonzaga, UCLA, 
we're able to pull out all of the notable folks. You know, there's notable alumni. I want notable alumni from that wild Adam Morrison, Darren Collison, Ryan Hollins game with Gus on the call. I want all of those players, Derek Ravio. I want all of those guys because that one was, that's a, that's an all time March game and Gonzaga UCLA. Uh, I'm sure folks are going to be tuning in and we're going to see a ton of flashbacks from that game over under Adam Morrison shots in the crowd and him crumpling to his ass, pulling his knees in and crying. I'm going to say, I'm going to say nine and a half. If we combine the amount of times we see Adam Morrison crumpling to his tail with the crowd shots, because he's there. Morrison has to be in the crowd. So I'll say nine and a half there. Then if we go to the Midwest, Penn State and Texas, Penn State, man, Michael Shrewsbury, you know, I'm a Shrewsbury guy heads over to Notre Dame. Uh, a lot of folks are saying this was handled in a much more graceful and just a straight up better way than Ed Cooley, but Penn state and Micah Shrewsbury uh, depart. I think on really good terms, they end up losing to Texas in the second round who just looks so strong right now. And what a job Rodney Terry's done. I, I, I've said it, but I think Rodney Terry deserves the full-time head job. And we got folks just saying like, we, there's bigger names out there. Texas deserves a bigger name. Okay. To do what? When was the last time Texas was this dangerous? Maybe you want to, and this ain't, this ain't hundred percent roster construction from Chris Beard or recruiting. Okay. Texas looks, it's not a hundred percent that let me, let me reiterate. It's not like Chris Beard has his full fingerprints on this program, because if we really think about it, Beard, pretty much only coached one season. So Rodney Terry's done an awesome job. And if you want the big splashy hire because everything's bigger in Texas and you want the opulence, fine. I'd rather a guy who gives me strong performances in March, which you have not had in a while for Texas and instilling a lot of confidence in folks that otherwise would not have had confidence in Texas in years past. All right. So Rodney Terry's doing an awesome job. Sean Miller, man. Sean Miller knocking on the door of yet another Elite Eight. And Sean was dormant the past year or so. But he was a coach when he was taking Arizona to Elite Eights where people were like, is he going to break through? He kind of he kind of went into the darkness a bit. But he's one win away from that Elite Eight, and then that conversation starts again. Can he get to the Final Four? Remember, he took Xavier to the Elite Eight before he went to Arizona, he took them with a Drew Lavender and they ran up against that Ohio State team with Greg Oden. And I think it was Ron Lewis who had a great shot. Of course, Gus on the call. Can he take Xavier back? In my bracket, I do think that happens. I think Sule boom goes boom. All right. I think Sule click, click, boom. Love that song. Used to love that song. I think he uh, he he takes down Texas. All right. Houston has been a little troubling. I'm not going to lie. Battled with Northern Kentucky. Ended up pulling away against Auburn, but battled against them. All right. They're my lone Final Four team left. So I got to roll with them. I got them playing Xavier. 
but man, Miami, how proud am I of Miami? I've, I've been saying for a while that I want to take Miami to the final four. And the worst part about bracketology and brackets is that at some point they go up against a team that you just like better than them. Houston, arguably the best team in the entire country, but Nigel pack Isaiah Wong, what a comeback against Drake. What a finishing kick. Same thing against Indiana. They've been the best team in the ACC all season. All right. Duke may have been the hottest towards the end of the year, but the most consistent and best team in my estimation have been Miami. And they're remarkably dangerous because now Norchad O'Meer got past that injury. He may still be feeling it a bit, but now he's able to run on the adrenaline of a sweet 16 elite eight opportunity. And he's got a few more days to rest. All right. So Houston, Miami is going to be great. And let me tell you something from this right side of the bracket. Be, I, I, got, I got grief from the shark. But if UConn and Miami go to the Final Four, I would not be shocked. I would not be shocked if UConn and Miami go to the Final Four. And I've long stated that UConn, even in their doldrums of this season, UConn at their best is a top five team. I truly believe that. They're playing probably the best basketball in the entire field of 68, now 16. It's either them or UCLA, in my estimation. Okay. So I would not be surprised if UConn gets to the Final Four because they are a top five team when they're clicking. And then Miami. Their defense is a little suspect, but you know, we've talked about it, sucker for guard play. And if Houston keeps playing with fire, which they've done the last two games, relative to how we've seen Houston play and their expectations, they actually might be the worst team that we've seen thus far. But it is about surviving. It is about advancing. So right now, that Houston-Miami game uh, is going to be a blast, a blast to watch. So that's just breaking down what happened this past weekend. Tried to parlay it a little bit into Sweet 16 matchups. Let's talk a little bit now about the coaching transitions that we've seen the last couple of days. Highlighted and headlined by Mr. Ed Cooley. First of all, credit to our great friend, the Providence Crier, for hosting a couple spaces the last couple nights, a uh, couple nights, uh, Twitter spaces. I think they got like 400 plus people in there. That guy's doing the Lord's work for Providence. And at a time where there's needed, they needed leadership and looked, looked for someone to guide them through this tough process. The crier was there and he let them get it all off their chest. And I believe they've hired Kim English. Who's now on campus. Kim English is going to be the new head coach at Providence. But of course, the story is about the departure, not the arrival. And that's Ed Cooley. So Ed Cooley takes the job at Georgetown and a lot of evidence, including when he signed the papers over or, you know, for his house, uh, the house going up on Zillow, unconfirmed reports that Eddie Lampkin is going to Georgetown, which if you can put two and two together means that Cooley was out there recruiting and hitting the portal. And uh, b- b- before their tournament game against Kentucky. So when reading all of those tea leaves and looking at all of that evidence, here's my take. And I actually think a lot of folks 
if if we take a step back and don't argue for the sake of arguing, which I suppose that is the whole damn point of Twitter. But I think a lot of folks, it's like a, this Venn diagram. On one side, you have diehard hyena Providence fans who I've been exposed to who say, screw Ed Cooley, not only because of the way he left, but because he left. Right. The way he left is shady, but even leaving Providence for Georgetown is garbage. So I think that's the far, far left. All right. Please don't read into any sort of political leanings here. Just look at a Venn diagram. It's the far left bubble. The far right bubble are folks saying, well, Georgetown's just a straight up better job than Providence. This is what happens. Right. Ed Cooley can go. I don't understand. I don't understand why Providence fans are mad. That's the far right bubble. Now, somewhere in the middle is where I think actually a lot of people will end up being. And when you discuss this with your friends at the dinner table, I think a lot of people will be in the middle. Maybe I'm wrong, but this is where I'm at. Okay. First of all, Ed Cooley brought back a dormant program in Providence, a program that had a great home arena for the most part. When I was growing up, you think of the Ryan Gomes teams, but they just stunk. They were not competing for big East titles. They were not relevant. Now, 12 years later, Ed Cooley has made them a top 25 team and a team that should hear their name announced on Selection Sunday every single year. You ask any Providence fan, that's a big deal. That did not happen under Keno Davis, who I think is like a Voldemort there, although now might be supplanted by Ed Cooley. But Ed Cooley is a wonderful coach, did a tremendous job with the Friars. And remember, he's a Providence guy. He knows it's not just what he did on the basketball court. I think he was a beloved figure in the city because he knows the ins and outs of Providence. And he did an amazing, amazing job. But in reading all the evidence, it sure seemed like his foot was out the door. And again, I'm not naive enough to think that this doesn't happen. It even happens in other sports. You look at college football, OCs and DCs are leaving like the day after their national title game or their semifinal game. But I would stress, look, those are OCs and DCs. Think of a guy like Dan Lanning going from Georgia to Oregon. It's not the same as a head coach from Providence who's been there for 12 years. But in order to get to uh, your next location, you kind of got to put the wheels in motion before. Now, doing all of this before a tournament game, that would piss me off, man. Ed Cooley's got to do what he's got to do. And this kind of goes with NBA free agency, players leaving. I got no issues with them leaving. I don't have any issue with Ed Cooley leaving. I don't even care that he went to a Big East rival. I think that's – look, I'm not going to tell Providence fans how to feel, but get over that, man. Georgetown is a better job. No matter how bad they've been the last couple of years, I, th I think – when cooler heads prevail, Georgetown is a better job than Providence. I don't care that he left to a Big East rival, but if he was recruiting, if he was putting his house on sale, if he knew he was gone and putting all these wheels, not necessarily knew that he was gone, but if he was taking action steps prior to a tournament game, that's that, that sucks. That sucks. And it does deserve ire. It does deserve blowback. It does deserve anger from the fan base.
And that's certainly what he's gotten because I think to myself, and I, I talked about it with all these head coaches that have actually been in trouble this year. You see, you, you commit improprieties and you do wrong. And the entire time you're saying to your team, you need to be all in. I need 110% buy-in from you. And then you can't even give that. That's what I'm looking at Ed Cooley a little sideways about. And who knows? I don't know the ins and outs, all right, of a new hire process. But if Georgetown really wanted this man as their head coach, I don't know why Ed Cooley can't flex a little and say, hang tight until after I'm, I'm done. Maybe that's naive. Maybe that's impossible to, to do. But I'm not blaming Ed Cooley. All of this said, I understand Georgetown's a better job. And I know he wants to follow in JT JT's footsteps. And I know he wants to try and get to a Final Four. But in my 32 years, and even most recently, what I've realized is that you can't out happy happy. Cannot do it. And I respect his ambition. I respect him wanting a new challenge. I respect him wanting to revive another program, a more legendary program, because right now Georgetown's in the pits. But he can't out happy, happy. And he was happy in Providence. That man may have gotten a statue in Providence. What he was doing was enough for Providence. Maybe it would get trite and tired in 10 years or so. But Big East title last year, NCAA tournament berths, which I think would be sustainable. He gave that up. And so if I'm in, if I'm going to look into my crystal ball, you know, I'm rooting for Ed Cooley. I'm rooting for Georgetown. I want them to be great because they're one of those schools that the, the sport's better. But I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm a big believer in doing things the right way, maybe a little karma. Um and I could just see how this might end poorly for Ed Cooley because he doesn't, he will not have the same rope uh, or, or leash, I guess, that he has at Providence of like getting them ramped up. It's got to start happening pretty soon. Pretty soon. All right. I'm not asking him to turn them around in a year, but people are going to be looking at that. And I guarantee you some people are going to be are going to be praying on his downfall, certainly in Providence. I'm not. I just think that he had a perfect scenario in Providence. And not only did he leave that behind, but I think he jilted quite a few amount of folks. So we're going to see how that plays out. I don't blame Ed Cooley for leaving. I personally wouldn't do it. Again, that's listening, reading comprehension. Uh, see, uh, you should be able to decipher what I'm saying there. Um, and then also, I just didn't like the way that he did it. The way that he left, I think, matters. And you look at a guy like Micah Shrewsbury, and who knows, maybe this is a little different situation. But he finished up his work at Penn State. Penn State's not Providence when it comes to basketball. But... I would think Penn State fans were hoping and praying that Michael Shrewsbury was going to come back. I don't necessarily know if Notre Dame's that much better of a basketball job. I mean, it is, but I think people don't have any ill will to Micah. 
And so he goes back to a state that he's very familiar with. He was uh, a longtime assistant with Matt Painter there at Purdue, and he will be at Notre Dame. Again, it bears repeating. I'm a Michael Shrewsbury guy, man. I I tweeted this out a couple years ago, and I was like, I think he's building something great there at Penn State. I wish he stuck around. This is for selfish and personal personal taste. I wish he stuck around just because it would be cool to see Penn State get back. Well, I shouldn't say get back. They've never really been that relevant, but who knows? Maybe Micah could have made them a, a top three team in the Big Ten. It's it's tough. It's tough for schools to, you know, when you go from a Pat Chambers to a Micah Shrewsbury, and then he's this supernova, and he gets poached. You're like, God, I just hope we don't go back to a Pat Chambers. Fingers crossed there for Penn State, and congratulations to them on a terrific year. Patino. Rick Patino to St. John's. The Big East, Ooh. Providence, Georgetown hate each other. Providence, UConn hates each other. Madison Square Garden is going to be hyped again. Rick Patino, man, he's he's just an electric factory. He's name brand. He's a guy that is going to bring. I mean, you know those those phone chargers that work better than than others, where after like ten minutes, your phone goes from ten percent to a hundred. On the flip side, there's phone chargers that take about three hours to go like 15 percentage points. Rick Pitino is the former. Rick Pitino is an ultra jolt. All right. And yes, I'm buying into St. John's. I don't give a damn who's on their roster. People were buying into them the last couple of years, just waiting for them to explode. And they never did. Why not now with Rick Pitino? All that guy does is take programs to Final Fours. Louisville, Kentucky, Prov. Why not? Let them let them cook. I cannot wait to see Rick Pitino and Madison Square Garden. So the Big East is a lot of fun. Um, the Big East is getting a lot of attention, but you wonder to yourself who is going to be replacing Rick Pitino at Iona, and that. Is one Tobin Anderson? What a come up for Tobin! He beats um, he beats Purdue, of course. Arguably the greatest upset ever. Second sixteen over one. They don't even win the NEC, man. Remember that Merrimack won the NEC, but they couldn't go to the NCAA tournament because of that garbage D one transition rule. But Tobin Anderson, and I say this all the time, it's interesting to look back at coaches that have had these meteoric rises and have gotten these pretty big jobs. Look, I mean, Iona is not a power school, but it's a basketball school. And and, and look, remember, they were a basketball school even before Rick Pitino. Think about Tim Cluis. But Tobin Anderson... You think about the timing, and look, great job by him, but also the sheer luck, the timing, the luck, and the opportunity that they seized, and that's how you get to Iona. I think he was in the mix for the Iona job along with Rick Pitino, but anyone going up against Rick Pitino in a coaching search is probably going to lose out. But even so, you look at some of these other 
coaches like an Andy Enfield. Crazy win against Georgetown. And look what he's built at USC. He's got a perfect life in Southern California. He is meeting and slightly exceeding expectations with the Trojans. He's got an elite eight under his belt. He's usually a tournament tournament guy. He's always usually in the tournament. He's doing a great job at USC. And that was as a result of the FGCU went over, over um, Georgetown. There's some other coaches that have pulled off these wild ups. Actually, shoot, just look at the other 16 over one. Ryan Odom got Utah State to the NCAA tournament this year. Great work. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Tobin Anderson succeed there at Iona. It's just interesting because I'll, I'll almost put money on it that if Fairleigh Dickinson loses against Texas Southern in Dayton, I don't know if Tobin Anderson is the Iona head coach. It sounds pretty foolish and straightforward when people are like, well, yeah, if you, if you didn't win, then you lost and you don't look as good. But it's these little things like the timing of Merrimack. Like he didn't, he didn't win against Merrimack, but he got to go to the NCAA tournament because they weren't eligible. And then from there, he seizes his opportunity with a great win over, over Texas Southern and then a win over Purdue. So I will sign off on this and I'm sorry to pour more salt into the, the wounds of boiler fans, but it's been two straight years now that I have seen in person the team take down Purdue. So last year I did watch the in-person at the Wells Fargo Center. Purdue lose to St. Peter's. Uh, and then I was in Dayton, UD Arena, when I saw Fairleigh Dickinson take down Texas Southern, but I did not know that they were going to pull off the most shocking upset. And I did not hear, no, I did not hear through the walls, Tobin Anderson basically saying, I watched Purdue, they stink. <laughs> How about, look, and that's what he said in so many words. All right. He's going to tell you no. He's going to be diplomatic. I know he already was. He's already addressed it. But it takes it takes some serious pelotas, all right, to basically say, all right, we got Purdue next. I've seen him. I've seen him with their amazing head coach and and probable national player of the year. I think we can beat him. Yeah, just just like a middling team in the NEC. I think we got a good shot pulls it off epic epic first weekend we got a great slate of games here for the sweet 16 like i said keep your eye out in the west look at the vegas guys gonzaga ucla and then yukon arkansas cannot wait for these matchups and we'll catch you next time here on theater and college hoops